Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny and rather warm day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Andy Heddington, Chief Executive of Adido, a strategic digital marketing agency based in Dorset. Andy, hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. Uh, now, My pleasure. Normally, uh, this podcast is entirely about leadership, but over the past few months, we have got slightly distracted as a country and as a podcast, and we should start off by talking about the current situation in regards to COVID-19. How has mm-hmm. this affected your organization? Um, quite dramatically, I think, in some ways. Um, like most businesses, uh, particularly those in this digital creative world, um, we've managed to adapt very well because we've already got the infrastructure in place to carry on working and um, you know, we can have remote meetings, we can have remote chats all via the technology we've um, advocated, I guess, for many decades. Um, financially running the business, though, um, we had a very, very big impact as soon as the lockdown was announced with usually marketing is one of the first things that gets cut. In our instance, it was. Um, so we lost 20, 30% of our revenue almost um, within a few weeks. Um, it's been talked about in here before, but you know the, the financial support from the government has been fantastic. Um, that's helped us to get through um, some of it, and we've had to adapt our um, cost base, etc. as well, looking forward, because, again, no one really knows what's happening. But um, I think we've come through it as best as we could have done, and as I said, I think our industry is fairly robust to these sorts of things, so it hasn't been as disastrous as and some of my clients have experienced, um, you know, or other other businesses. So I, I shouldn't really complain. I think I think we've had it okay so far. And what sort of preparations are you making now that we're starting to uh, reopen uh, as an economy? What sort of uh, gearings are you heading towards? Um, well, I mean, we make as we're going back to our um, financial um, parts, we've decided to take the view that our, our team are really not going to be coming back to the office much in the next 12 months. Um, I don't think our clients are going to be traveling that much. Um, so we've taken the view that um, we don't really need an office in the way that we used to, certainly. Um, so we've decided to office share with another company on our building. Um, and that's been, a, I think, so far a good thing for us and for them. We've managed to reduce our costs. Um, we've got the flexibility to have the team come back into the office if we need to. Um, and you know, realistically, looking forward to the next 12 months, our forecasts are, are broadly the same as what they have been in the past. Um, we know we're going to lose some clients, perhaps some more. At the same time, this opens up massive opportunity in lots of different ways, uh, perhaps new services, um, certainly new products that we can offer. Um, and maybe, again, broaden out our reach because if everyone's sat in their house working, then there's absolutely no reason why we couldn't work with someone in Manchester or Milton Keynes or Macclesfield, you know. So um, I think there's lots of positives that we can look if we want to find them. Well, we should move on to the subject of leadership. As long-time listeners of the program will know, I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. Mm. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, that's a, a very interesting question, and, and uh, I have listened to your podcast many times. And I tried to write down some notes because trying to encapsulate it from the versions I've heard from your other great speakers on here um, and my own view is very, very tricky. I think it encapsulates many things. We, firstly, I think it's about sort of setting a standard for the rest of your team and your clients to follow. You know, if you're doing things in a certain way, 
um, everyone else has got to meet that expectation of what good looks like in your company. Um, I've always tried my best to do that. Um, obviously, never get 100% right. But again, over doing this for many years, you do learn what is better than, than doing things badly. Um, I think it's also about balancing, you know, many interests. Um, you know, we've been a company of 40, nearly 50 people at points, um, different viewpoints, and being a leader is trying to take all of those things into consideration and act in the best interest of everybody. Obviously, it's never easy where you have to let people down or, um, you know, go in different directions. But uh, again, as a leader, you've got to try and make sure everyone's on board, everyone's coming with you and understand your reasoning why you're doing things. And I think my last point is then about really trying to be as honest and, and transparent as you can with everybody. Um, in the times that we've had, we've had some very, very high growth periods. We've had some periods of redundancies. And I think throughout that, one of the things I've really learned is that by being honest and open with people so they understand why you're doing what you're doing, it allows you to build that trust and take them with you on the journey that you're uh, going on almost every day of, you know, um, work so i think i think those are the main points that i would encapsulate from my experience now how would you describe your personal leadership style on a day-to-day basis um that's a good question i think um people would probably describe me as being very trustworthy um i don't micromanage i ask people um their opinion on things i ask them to get involved i expect them to do good work all of the time um i don't as I say, don't want to be one of those people, and I've seen this in, in my clients and um, other people we've worked with in the past, where you get lots of interference, people wanting to put their mark on everything because of their egos, etc. Um, that's not me. My style is to really build a, a good team that that trusts me, trusts my other um, director, and um, you know, if I can reflect the good work that um, they're doing and praise them, then, then typically I think they get the best out of them and. Um, we've had many people say of us for five, six, seven, eight years, which in our industry I think is fairly unusual. So I think we've created the right environment for people to do good work and thrive. Now, where would we say that your leadership style derived from? Did you have a particular role model or have you been shaped more by circumstance? Um, I think by circumstance. I mean, I am slightly unusual. Uh, I think some people would say that. <laughs> um, but, but I started my business from leaving university. So my experience of, uh, I guess, the real working world has, has been very, very limited in that um, I haven't had many people to look up to, um, which I think in the early days may have been a slight negative, um, but it certainly helped me reflect on my own approach consistently. You know, every day I think, did I do the right thing? Have yeah, I said the right thing? Am I learning from my own um, good points and my own bad points? So I've never really had anyone to look up to um, and you know, say uh, this person over here really taught me and shaped me a lot because um, I just never had the opportunity. Um, externally, again, it's been very difficult. Uh, I'm not a massive reader. You know, in the last three or four years, there's been a big boom in podcasts, which has been great. And I've managed to listen to a few um, extraordinary people on my on my ways to work. But um, I think it's just come from circumstance, really. And um, one of the things that um, I've talked to, uh, a little about in the past, I guess, is when I went to um, the Gambia um, when I was uh, in my teenage years and just got the opportunity to see the, you know, the difference in the Western world that we have here to the, the, the tricky and difficult lives that some people have. And I think I really felt grateful for the opportunity that I have living in the U- UK, living in the South of England where, you know, opportunity is plentiful. And that really sort of pushed me on to 
think about how fortunate we are. And I, again, I try and share that positivity with everyone every period of time. So I think, it's, although it's not really left uh, any marks, I think it just made me reflect on my worldview and um, bring out some of those qualities I already had in, in my working environment. I'd actually like to uh, step back for a second and discuss uh, launching a business out of university. Do you feel mm. that universities are preparing people, uh, their pupils, for the world of work and for becoming entrepreneurs? Or do you feel that they're leaving entire generations of uh, youngsters uh, unprepared? Um, again, I think over time that has changed significantly. When we started in 2000, and, well, we started the idea in 2002, 2003, uh, which is the best part of 20 years ago now. Um, the idea of four people from university going starting a company was, was um, almost unheard of, I'd say. Um, and certainly the university wasn't properly equipped for businesses like us. And I think over the last 20 years, um, sort of, thanks to culture as much as anything, you look at the sort of Silicon Valley, um, anything, anyone can sort of start a company and take on the world through to Dragon's Den, through to The Apprentice. There's a whole uh, raft of business content, I guess, which has hit the mainstream. And I think off the back of that, businesses have grown from almost anywhere. And I think universities have started to realize that every student that comes through the door could probably be a, a business owner and a business starter. So I think the um, support networks have grown massively. Um, I think there's definitely more that can be done. Um, but I think uh, compared to where we were 20 years ago, it's definitely come a long way. Uh, and one of my roles as um, the chairman of Silicon South and uh, Digital South is really trying to, again, keep an ear to the ground of the universities and connect them to businesses locally to say, um, you know, there's support that can be had here. There's advice that can be had here. And these people leaving university at 21, 22, like I was, um, you know, these are the people you need to go and speak to rather than sort of trying to figure out through Google or however over us, because I think learning from experience of other people is um, invaluable. Now, unfortunately, our time together is beginning to draw to its close. But before I let you go, Andy, what does the next 12 months have in store for Adido? Um, as I said before, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, we can sit here and think very negatively about the world view. Um, ultimately, I don't. I really don't think anyone really knows at this point what's going to happen. But I think it's about staying positive. Um, as I say, I think there's opportunity to work in many ways that I think until now we've stopped ourselves from doing, um, which is this whole notion of I have to go and meet people if I'm working on a creative project. I have to be near that person that's doing the work. Um, that definitely isn't the case now with Zooms, you know, and, and with the other variants are all sort of standard ways of working. And um, I think there's a great opportunity to connect with many more businesses, many more um, people who can help us deliver our work. And um, I'm quite looking forward to it, to be honest. Well, that's absolutely fantastic, Andy. And I do hope we can have you back on the program at some point in the near future. But for now, uh, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye and thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the opportunity. Cheers. That was Andy Heddington, Chief Executive of Adido. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? 
Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realize that I did uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, yeah. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties. 
to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just 
a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Gray's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour, mm-hmm. 
And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a, uh, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just 
luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely the show. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is showed, team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. 
what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely. Uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, Another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.